and welcome to this special extra episode of World Enough and Time. I haven't got Alex with me today. She's asleep in New Zealand and she works hard. She, she needs to sleep. It's fine. I am joined today instead by Phoenix Andrews. Hello. Hello, Phoenix. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I mean, it's a lie at the start of every podcast. I'm not good, but hooray, it's fine. The world isn't on fire. Look, it's fine. <laughs> yes. I'm I'm surprised I can take time to talk to you during this moment in the world, just because you're so politically aware and active that I kind of feel like you must be doing something political at the moment that would require more of your attention. Well, on the one hand, yes. On the other, I am also not very employed at the moment due to the whole pandemic situation. Yes, yes, I know all about that. But the thing is, you are, you know, you regularly write, don't you, for for newspapers and like for proper things. For actual proper things, newspapers of record and the like. Uh, Yes. It's quite nice when they commission me. At the moment, they say they haven't got any money, which... It's not great. Hmm. But yes, normally I write for newspapers and sometimes international things, which is quite exciting. Yeah. So the reason you're with me today, though, is because you have co-written a rather marvellous tome. And I can say that because I've actually bought it and read it called The Monster Vault, published by BBC Books. Tell all. It's official. An official (gasps) to Who book, which is extremely exciting and it's kind of weird because at the moment it's mostly grown-ups that I know about that are reading it. But the thing with this kind of Doctor Who book is that, you know, 15 years from now, maybe, 10, 15 years, there'll be people who are actually adults who were children when they read it. And it will have influenced how they think about things in some way, which is absolutely terrifying, but also exciting because you never know the full impact of it at the time that you do it. it just happens later yeah but that is so exciting I remember um one of my son's favorite Doctor Who books was written about 10 years ago and he says it's the best book ever written by Simon Gerrier and I told Simon this and he was astonished (laughs) it's like it's exactly what you just said yeah I think about the ones that we had when we were little and how important they were yeah yeah I have to ask did you have the Doctor Who monster book Yes, I did have a Doctor Who monster book, yeah. And the second Doctor Who monster book, which I preferred. Yes. Did you have that one? Yes. Gorgeous. So, so I wondered if you could tell me, first of all, what's your relationship with Doctor Who? (laughs) My relationship with Doctor Who is uh, being a fan since being quite small. Um, But because, you know, I was born in 1980, so... There wasn't a huge amount of Doctor Who on when I was a kid. I remember a tiny bit of Colin Baker. Um, I remember Peter Davison a bit better, but that's because I think I'd seen him on other things, and also there were more repeats of him. And I remember uh, Sylvester McCoy quite well, so he was my Doctor, if you like, in the sense of being the first one that I was properly into. And Doctor Who magazine, you know, a few times in the McCoy era before... In, in, before the show was taken off air. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then obviously got massively more back into it when it came back. Aha. Uh-huh. So you're a, you're not just a classic Who fan, you're a new Who fan as well. I'm all a Who fan, 
Yes, I mean, not all the who. There's areas that I prefer and watch more than others. I think people are lying when they say that that's not true. That there's not. Go, <laughs> oh, I don't watch that. No. Yeah. So, how did this book come about? It came about because a lovely man called Paul Lang, who edited the book and used to edit Doctor Who Adventures, the kids' magazine that I bought pretty much every issue of not least because of the free gifts um <laughs> he is a friend of mine um for sort of pop and gay reasons i suppose mostly but also obviously a massive doctor who fan has worked on lots of doctor who stuff and he wrote this year's doctor who annual as well as designing it because he does design and layout stuff as well as writing and editing and he was like oh i think it would be better if it wasn't just like this one cis guy this male guy writing this book and me editing it and doing some bits on it I think it would be better if we had more people on it oh I bet Phoenix would like to do it they've never yeah. had the opportunity before and they love Doctor Who and they have thoughts about it that they frequently express <laughs> <laughs> brilliant and they would do the research and I'll find out if they're available and it sort of crossed over with pandemic stuff a bit. So it was quite difficult to get going at the beginning because all the people who needed to okay things were suddenly working from home and panicking at the BBC. Um, and then they had to give me access to scripts via a system that doesn't let you download things, only look at them. And that went wrong a bit. It was all very exciting when it finally happened. I was like, ah, oh, now I get to write it. But you've written it really quickly then. Yeah, we wrote, we wrote it really quite quickly because by the time I was actually properly approved to be on board and had the access to the stuff to do it then there wasn't very long to write it and there was also a raging wow. pandemic <laughs> yeah. yeah oh I really didn't realize it. oh that's even more amazing because it's very good when I was reading it every time I read anything that was witty or quirky I thought that's definitely Phoenix writing so I'm probably doing a disservice to your co-writer, Jonathan. Yeah, John, um. John and I both have quite a sense of humour, so lots of people have guessed wrong who wrote what. <laughs> <laughs> I'd best say if there's anything that's uh, that's kind of tickly socially justice that would be mine. But other than that, it's quite difficult to tell between the two of us who wrote what. He wrote more because he was on the project earlier. Because ah, already... He was already in with BBC Books because he, he'd done more Doctor Who stuff before, so he didn't have such a long wait for the approval process. Um, so I, I wrote less of it than was originally intended just because of that. They needed to get everything in quite quickly and so that all the pages could be designed and look beautiful, which they do. I mean, it's not just... Oh, yeah. Here's, a, here's some... Uh, some some promotional photograph that you've seen a thousand times and then some texting columns you know it is very designed which is intentional because paul's an amazing designer yeah i mean that's the thing that really screamed out to me you feel like oh it's going to be all the same old pictures but because of the way it's been put together it feels like there's suddenly like a a, a vast cache of unseen photos that are suddenly available for for Doctor Who and that's amazing. Yeah, I mean the artwork is incredible. You know, it because it, it, it's all specially commissioned and 
it isn't just oh well I sort of vaguely did something sort of painterly with the background <laughs> picture obviously you yeah. reference pictures but it does amazing stuff with them and it yeah. just makes it really shiny the Vok robots one is particularly wow just staring out at you from the flight deck of the sand miner love that one um so do you have um did you have any debate as to which ones you wanted to write was the ones you really wanted to write sections on the ones i really wanted to write didn't get to do because uh johnny had forgotten that i had a claim on certain uh, certain of them and <laughs> he'd already written them and i was like <laughs> why can't i do that one um but i really really wanted to do the oud like above all oh, i felt you. like i had so much to say about the oud and i went over my word count and we still put it all in Yes, I know that was a long one. A feat of design because yeah. you got the bigger monsters obviously got more more word counts than you know ones that were only in one or two stories or whatever. Um, and it, yeah, even then I still went over because I was just like, but but you need to know this about them and, and also this and these are the things <laughs> that are, I would like to include and I'd be very sad if we didn't get to. <laughs> I, I you know I really enjoyed I really enjoyed writing about. Um, the Vimbocci and the Zocchi Balakathalata. Oh, yes. I just loved writing about Balakathalata because he just doesn't get enough attention because people just think little funny man. But his story is so much going on in there. It's amazing. And I was like, get all that in. <laughs> Android rights. Let's, let's put lots of that in there. Um, just kind of trying to make more out of what there was because obviously yes. I, had access, I had access to the scripts. And what was yeah. telly, but there's also all the stuff that's in your imagination as a Doctor Who fan. And I think we were really trying to get some of that across. So, yes, sometimes the execution of a monster on screen isn't what the writer or even actors and director exactly wanted, because it wasn't always possible, particularly with some of the older monsters or some of the monsters on lower budget stories. But that doesn't mean we can, can't write about them the way that they were originally imagined to be. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that's why I'd really recommend this book because it's beautiful, loads of pictures and gorgeous coffee table book. But in fact, there's so much invention in it. I just want to um, pick some things out. Um, the giant clams are presented here as a solution to the hand mines on Scaro. <laughs> <laughs> Which was beautiful. Um also about Arbitan becoming cybernetized or cybernized, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel to be funny and make references as well. Yes. There's a certain amount of all that sort of Terence Dick's target book style kind of putting in more than you got to see in the show because you've got more space to do it. But there's also the whole kind of smash hit sense of humour and reference so being able to talk about Leandro as, you know, being like a one of the Bee Gees and things like that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. You know, he looks like Lionel and also Barry Gibb. Why not? <laughs> it's what you're thinking. Um, exactly. But some things absolutely blew my mind. I mean, the one that I think my favourite little bit was the section on the Ogre, where it's saying that the way they move is because they've got endothermic bases, so they freeze any ambient moisture so they can slide across the ground. Oh, <gasps> that's, isn't it? Isn't it? So... Wow. Yes. 
and um, the Mavellans needing to pass as unthreatening when on covert intelligence ops, so they so, so that it makes sense they look a little bit disco. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so much of Doctor Who, like, because Doctor Who doesn't have a canon, obviously, as Paul Cornell got a lot of grief for writing a blog post about that years ago, but it's true because every new era of the show, people do things, and if they fit with the existing continuity, then they do, and if they don't, then they don't, and people just sort of try to make it work post hoc and yeah so much of that spirit is in the book because why can't we make it work how we want to make it work and make how, look this is how i rationalize it it makes perfect sense um that yeah. goes in also it's funny but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I will never think about um the demons now without this 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 idea of that they can't run with those heels just <laughs> 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 just it's just brilliant um, oh, another favourite bit was um, in within the book. I should say this un- unanswered questions sections, yeah. which really make you think about some stories. Like, are, are the rills really so altruistic? And if if so, wouldn't they've been wiped out? Aren't they actually the real baddies of Galaxy Four? And did they actually fire first? I'm like, oh my god, my word, <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, very good. And even monsters that people kind of don't love maybe like the isolus the artwork for the isolus is so beautiful that it's sort of oh yes and you go well yes that story was a bit meh but the idea at the core of it wasn't and this is the beautiful isolus and you go yes and someone will write another story for big finish in like 10 20 years just because of that image would made them want to write something beautiful about the isolus which Nobody now would currently do. Nobody who kind of <laughs> remembers that story from original transmission would kind of go, yes, I really want to write about that monster. That's definitely where I'm going with this. Yeah, yeah. So I have to ask you the obvious question. Daleks or Cybermen? It's always so hard <laughs> to choose, isn't it? I think yeah. I think I'm going to give the evil answer, which is Davros, <laughs> <laughs> because Davros is what makes the Daleks more exciting than the Cybermen. And I think if you didn't have Davros, yeah, then it would be harder to pick between the two, because uh, uh, the the thing about the thing about the Cybermen is they're so much more obviously us, and with Ashad in the last series, that's kind of made even more apparent, probably even more so than the kind of Russell T Davis era stories about the Cybermen. It's suddenly, you know, with both bringing back the, Mon- the Mondas Cybermen um, with Peter Capaldi and then Ashad, you know, at the end of the last series, you're kind of like, oh God, you know, this is, this, this it really is us. And that was the whole point at the start, obviously, of the Cybermen that they were looking at all of the transplant stuff and amazing genetic science and stuff going on and going, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if we talked about how that could go horribly wrong? Mm. Whereas the Daleks are just, you know, mad stuff from Terry Nation's brain and he did lots of mad things. And then because they're like Nazis, it's easy to tell good stories about them because you just take all of your existing fascist narratives and <laughs> put a Dalek on. Yeah. Davros, Davros complicates it because he's so clever and so brilliant and then did has done and has this relationship with the doctor like the master has that just makes it more complicated um but the 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 body horror aspect of the cybermen is 
you know, turning up the machines to hear the, the, the screams and then turning them back down again. That's what the nurses do in the hospital, you know. Yeah. And Bill becoming one. And yeah, it's all quite it, it's more it's more scary as an adult, I think, even though initially the, the dialects are more scary. Yeah. Yes. Um so this is your this is your is this your first Doctor Who book? It is my first Doctor Who book. So right, go on then. Pitch for your second now. Go. No, <laughs> 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 oh, because uh, I don't know what we would get to do next. Um, right. The the thing about this book is it's very much monsters, so it's creatures and it's not villains. So I think I'd like to take the same approach to villains. I mean, it's quite. Clear that I would like to write about Davros in some detail. <laughs> 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 but also, you know, I have some ideas in my mind for how I'd write about the meddling monk. Do you know what I mean? Um, and also, yeah. you know, so many aspects of the master. I would happily do a whole book that was the master because there's so many versions of the of, of the master, um, including the unbound versions for people who listen to Big Finish. Of course, yeah. have a sort of great great fondness for David Warner as an unbound doctor and so on um so there's there's places to go but just the relationships i suppose the doctor has with those sort of more human villains even if they're not human but you know they're not they're not monsters they're villains and the twisted they're very rarely just purely evil so i know you write a lot about politics and its intersection with fandom and how you can be a fan without without actually talking to anyone about the fact you're a fan of something, but then you can make a decision to become part of fandom by joining the community and or writing something like you've done. So you've become part of the fandom now. So I'm interested in that choice. Well, I think I've, I've sort of been part of the fandom for a while in that I've been on, you know, live journal groups back in the day and right. forums. But I was never, I was never a BNS in those. I was never a big name fan. I was never one of the most vocal people uh, in those groups. So everyone's always known that I that I love Doctor Who, but I was never somebody who kind of made a big noise about myself either as a creator or a analyst in the community. <laughs> and obviously I've been to fan events and made friends through fandom. But it's obviously I've got a different place in it now because I've written an official thing. Exactly. So that feels like it's a kind of a deliberate, not a deliberate move because this, this happened and great, but, but yeah, it just makes you, I don't know, it, it, it makes a difference, I think. Yeah, it does. And I think if I went, went in the after when we're allowed to go to things again, um, yeah. when I go to things, then I'll be the person who wrote that book. And yeah. so people I don't know know who I am. <laughs> yes it's a bit weird but yeah. quite nice as well so i don't know yeah. there's probably people who are just judging me really hard are going i should have got to write that book and this is dreadful and i fully disagree like i've already had somebody who's quite unhappy that i said that the skithra queen was dead um <laughs> 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 like, oh i love that for you fans that she's <laughs> dead but they're like no it's not well I'm like it's Doctor Who so even if you think she wasn't dead um they could and they the, the writers think that she was dead 
they can just bring her back anyway. I mean, you could be pretty incontrovertibly dead in Doctor Who and still there'll be a way to bring you back, whether it's going to a different point in your era, whether it's some form of regeneration, whether it's just retconning the whole idea that they died in the first place. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's not a show that kind of is, has a Bible. It's not like, it's not like uh, Star Trek or, or Star Wars. There's not so many rules. Yeah, exactly. So you just but, do it how yeah. you want to do it. But I'm fascinated by that level of passion and determination that things are a certain way. It's, I mean, because it can be terrifying. We've seen with the Not My Doctor Oh, they're idiots. horrific people. Yeah. yeah. Well, replies to, like, BBC book stuff about the book or the, the official account, you know, had a little video with Jodie and Mandit talking about monsters and they were flicking through the book and, like, half the replies are like, this is terrible, she shouldn't be allowed to be the Doctor. Like... Uh, this isn't even relevant why why are you doing why are you devoting so much of your time to being an auntie and why do you feel so control over the show the whole point of Doctor Who is that it's sort of collectively owned it's like the NHS yeah or the BBC it's a it's an it's not creator owned intellectual property in the same way that much more authored shows are because it's gone on so long and has also been so different across that time it's not like a soap that just kind of slowly evolves it's been so so much so different depending on who's working on it it's all of ours and you can't just suddenly decide it's it's not that because it's not what you want it to be there are definitely fans who who fall for a particular era of the show not just because like of who's playing the doctor or whatever but because they just like a particular kind of story like there was definitely people who wanted the 10th doctor and rose love story show and just that nothing else and there are people who definitely only want story of the week and no no story arcs whatsoever and they think that's not doctor who but for me all of it is doctor who including the stuff you think is bollocks and that's yes (laughs) and that's sort of the point of it you have to accept all of the things about it and that's why it's great it's meant to be wonky it's meant to not work sometimes it's meant to annoy you sometimes it's meant to be for different people at different times it's meant to sometimes be very complicated and sometimes be very simple like all of that is Doctor Who because it's a big thing that just resists you going well no it's meant to be a family show of for mostly children uh, that tells science fiction stories and you go, well, actually it does history and it does stories that you never let under 10. And then they go, no, well, it's a story. It's a science fiction program for a bit fantasy program for teenagers and adults. And you go, well, no. Like, <laughs> and some versions of the show that some fans would like, it's like, well, it had run for one series on Netflix or be on at midnight as like a weird import on telly like that version of the show would not work for a mainstream audience and it would have no budget (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it's quite hard to get that through to people who think that their version is what works everyone thinks that they could get their hands on it and do something great with it yeah yeah most of them could not absolutely not i mean (laughs) there is an argument that the next person who runs the show shouldn't be as much of a fan as Chris Chibnall is. Yeah, and yeah, I think I'd that's go with probably that. right in that we've sort of run out of showrunners who are 
who are Doctor Who fans and also good um, yeah, at this point. Yeah. Um, but also because it needs somebody to come in who doesn't know very much. And in the past, it wasn't Doctor Who fans who were running the show. And guess what? It still worked. Yeah, before before yeah. JMT, then it really yeah. wasn't fans running the show. Exactly. You had some fans in roles, and I think you'll always need to have fans in roles near the top of top of the tree in the show to make sure that it's still Doctor Who. Mm. It, however much it deviates from the template, it's still recognisably not Doctor Who and not some other show that happens to have Doctor Who stamped on it. Um, like some terrible remakes are of things but it do, they don't need to be the showrunner it's not necessarily the case and if you are having one as a showrunner they have to have more of an eye on the casual audience because Russell used to say when he was running the show look only one in ten of the Doctor Who audiences Doctor Who audience watches every episode of the show so the people who go beyond that and obsess over it and have all of the spin-off media and buy books like this and talk about it on the internet, who have DVDs, blah, blah, blah. Like they are a tiny, tiny minority. And it doesn't mean that you should completely ignore them, but if you make the show for them, yeah, you won't have it, won't have any episodes of the show. You have to have that audience who don't watch every episode and you have to make it still make sense for those people. Yeah, we are the freaks on the periphery. We really are. Yeah, and while it's nice to have like little references and fan service, if there's to, if you have to watch loads of episodes to understand what was going on, and that happened a little bit with Stephen Moffat, I don't agree that his stories were too complicated because I like the complexity of them, but the continuity was such that if you missed a couple of episodes for whatever reason, or you had been able to pay full attention because you had a child on your lap or whatever, you were kind of, oh God, I'm going to go on Wikipedia to work out what that actually is. Yeah, indeed. And Although I find revisiting it, revisiting it now, I'm much more of a fan of the Moffat era than I was at the time. It's fascinating. Yeah, um, no, I mean, I really love it and I'm less disappointed with things and so on because you suppose you always bring a certain level of expectation to it and will always suffer from that um, because you have a, you will always have a version of what it's going to be in your head based on your previous experience of the show and then your previous experience of the writer that's doing it so you are a monster expert now i'm calling it you are one of the doctor who monster experts so you have the option now to bring a doctor who monster back for the next series which one do you choose who do I want to bring back? Hmm. I always want to bring the Zygons back because I just love the Zygons and there's so much you can do with them. Um, hmm, yeah. Zygons in a pandemic is frankly terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's a brilliant, brilliant episode title as well, Zygons in a Pandemic. <laughs> well, I sort of think, you know, some of the experts that you get on TV who are like the alternative scientists... Yeah. I do wonder if some of them were psychons. <laughs> like the Barrington Declaration, they are in fact all psychons. Um, wow. And that's why it's all a bit wrong. Um, mm. But yeah, just when when trust is difficult and there's no certainty, you don't really know who to believe about things because even the people who are normally right about stuff are kind of believing in conspiracies or they just don't know and they don't really want to tell you that they don't know having shapeshifters around 
uh, is, you know, quite terrifying. Also, I want the vervoids back because of the filth, <laughs> filth possibility. <laughs> like, what is the modern redesign of them that doesn't look, <laughs> that doesn't get you in yeah. the papers for being terrible? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look like every type of genitalia there is, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's um, truly impressive. Um, yes, but it manages all of them. <laughs> yeah, because there's been some redesigns of past monsters. Um, I, so yeah, I quite I quite like to bring the birds back. <laughs> That's just because you're a troublemaker, Phoenix. That's why I am a troublemaker. <laughs> I am a troublemaker, but I just like quite like to see the defense of it, and also like the jokes the doctor would make this time around. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also bring the women back, but have them fall out of more kinds of cupboards. That's always have them falling out of cupboards. That's what I say. That's the best way for Wirren to move around. People talk yeah. too much about the bubble wrap. And for me, the key moment with the Wirren is just <laughs> opening the cupboard and the falling out because we've all lived in a house that had like a cupboard that had too much in it. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. and your mum or whoever would open the door and then the other <laughs> one would, would lamb out, except. So the women falling out of cupboards, but in domestic settings rather than spaceships. <laughs> That's the story I want now. People ringing up, people ringing up this morning and saying, "Well, look, I was just going to do the ironing, and I opened my cupboard, and then I was like crushed by this women that fell." <laughs> what am I meant to do about this? Are yeah, they're not. Them? Can we eat it? Can I keep it as a pet? You know, like Denise Welch's theories about what should happen with the women <laughs> that's because I, I naturally kind of go towards the anarchic sort of Russell way of approaching the show <laughs> <laughs> bring back Jackie Tyler to deal with the women on loose women with the yeah. and just them appearing everywhere and people not really knowing what to do about it because you think you've got rid of them and then you open the fridge and oh no another word <laughs> it's a really interesting invasion plan though isn't it Cub via cupboards i like that that's it and then it's like your nan's got a larder and your nan dies and then people go to pack up the house and it's like shit there's 50 in there <laughs> <laughs> and that's the best doctor who isn't it when it's domestic settings where the the danger's brought into your home and that's just a perfect route i, I can't believe it's not been done yet well truly and also turning your house into a base under siege because you can't yes. you cannot open any storage in your house you <laughs> bought that house for the built-in wardrobes <laughs> and yet you've been wearing the same jeans for a month because if you open anything a worm falls out <laughs> <laughs> it's a genuine fear it's a genuine problem today well, that's so... the tips in Take a Break magazine for dealing with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or your buying magazines for women tips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Phoenix, has been a joy talking to you today about The Monster Vault. Um, subtitle, The Doctor's Enemies Unlocked, published by BBC Books. And it's gorgeous. The writing's gorgeous. The, it looks gorgeous. The art's gorgeous. And you need to just buy it, honestly. Buy two. Buy three. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. Cheers, Phoenix. Cheers. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
Ha, ha, ha.